0: you're listening to extra textual this is a show where we talk about an idea concept theme trend and relate it to some kind of media like film tv video games books music and hopefully discover something about ourselves or our culture along the way thanks for listening All right, welcome to the show. This is Eli Steenlidge, and with me today is... Jeremy Holliday. And we have our special friend of the podcast with us, Steve Knoll. Welcome, Steve. Thanks for having me. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, So tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Well, I'm a a marketing professor and a lifelong movie nerd. Awesome. Yeah, so before I got into teaching, I actually worked in the um movie industry there used to be mm-hmm. things called video stores and i oh. i managed one right out of college <laughs> and then i went to go work for the distributor and i did that for many 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 years traveled a lot met a lot of movie stars talked a wow. lot about movies and the business of movies and the economics mm-hmm. of it and yeah cool now i just talk about it now you just talk about it yeah. that's okay so do we. we well we do make some movies yeah yeah um nice.
2: but we also talk a good bit about other things too. uh, We are here today to talk about Blade Runner, Mm -hmm. um, which is something that uh, I know that you like, Eli.
0: Yeah, I mean, one of the reasons we were going to talk about the new Blade Runner 2049, of course, do an episode on that. But I bring up Blade Runner so often that I thought maybe we should kind of like exercise my Blade Runner demons and just get it all out in one episode so that I don't have to talk about it quite as often. And... And you, I think, had been telling me for a while that Steve was a big Blade Runner fan, yep. which is why we invited him. On yeah, the show. I one mean, of the reasons, yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, and to, to say Steve is a big Blade Runner fan, I mean, he can explain himself, but I, I remember um, when I, I know, first went into his wonderful theater, he had like the uh, definitive Blade Runner version, and it comes in a little box that looks like the <laughs> what's the, the Void Comp case. Yeah. Oh. You know, and there's like a little silver unicorn in there. Yes. Mm. Um, uh, and uh, I mean, you you showed me the opening scene on your pre-4K system because it was so
1: awesome. Yes. (laughs) Um, And now it just has been released in true 4K, (laughs) and it's even more awesome. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Just gets more awesome all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I I think that that's important because Blade Runner is a movie about visuals. That's Mm -hmm. one of the things about it that's so cool. Yeah. It's not really about the story. When people say, what's the story of Blade Runner? Mm -hmm. It's kind of like saying, what's the story of 2001 A Space Odyssey, which is the other movie that this gets compared to. Mm -hmm. It's really a movie about ideas and concepts, not about plot. Right. And I find that very interesting because people immediately harp on it and say, oh, there's no plot. It can't be very good. And then I'm like, what's your favorite movie? And they'll be like, well, it's Marvel. So I'm like, stop right there. (laughs) You know, every Marvel movie has the exact same plot. Yeah. Yeah, So we'll end it right there.
0: Yeah. 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 Yeah, And I think... um, approaching this to talk about it certainly i I do bring it up a lot but a lot has been covered about blade runner Mm -hmm. in general i mean now people just always say you know it's one of the most influential sci-fi films of all time one of the most visually spectacular um there's been you know uh, papers written on it academic writing all this kind of stuff books so i don't know that we can add anything super um deep about it but i think we will approach it from our personal uh views of it our personal experiences maybe the first time we watched it up into when we've re-watched it recently maybe mm-hmm. in 4k um and how those experiences have changed uh and then we'll do another episode about 2049 yeah yeah yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. And, and part of the whole myth of blade runner is simply mm-hmm. the time period of when it came out yeah you know it The fact that it came out in the early 80s with the rise of home video Mm -hmm. is really what created the whole Blade Runner myth. Yeah. You know, if this film had been released 10 years earlier or 10 years later, Mm -hmm. it would not be regarded as the classic that it is today. Yeah. And I think it's really important to really look at it in its place and time Mm -hmm. in terms of how it changed the industry. Mm. Because again, if it had come out 10 years later, it would have not had this impact. Yeah. Yeah. It was
0: not well-received by audiences at the time, Correct. Um, very much, so it kind of had to find its audience later. Yep. Uh, I do remember my dad saw it in the theater. I was quite young at the time, mm-hmm. too young to go see it, of course, but uh, he was, he's sort of uh, a sci-fi fan, but not, like, huge, huge into it, but I remember him being very impressed by it um, and the depth of it, so it's kind of cool to hear that that story as well, but um he was looking forward to it even if many audience members were not
2: yeah i mean it's interesting i mean i I feel like we should title this the part one like our dads and blade Runner. when (laughs) i was a kid um, watch that because i'm probably old enough to be your dad (laughs) um when i was a kid we had a satellite dish Mm -hmm. in the country is like the gigantic like 20 foot satellite dish yeah um and uh, we found out that like you could you could record off the satellite dish, not a big thing. But this was like early V, you know, like, early VHS, where like many people had players, but having mm-hmm. a recorder was like a thing in the early eighties. Mm-hmm. So my dad was like, oh, we could like you know, very economical. We could like you know, record TV shows and movies and yeah. have them. So he got like a you know a V you know video cassette recorder with his top loading chunk. It's probably thing. a Betamax even. Well, it was right after. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, we we recorded stuff and Mm -hmm. eventually like, um, it was was a well-made device lasted for several years. We eventually got a new one with like a a wireless remote, you know? And my dad, you know, figured out a way that you could um, record rented videotapes, mm-hmm. um, which was uh, obviously illegal. But it was before um, Macrovision, right? So you know, th- there was nothing that prevented. There was no the quality loss. Right. It
1: wasn't necessarily illegal. It was a gray market transaction. Yeah. <laughs> um,
2: and so, um, you know, we, we there were we had this massive collection of like videos that we have recorded. Mm. Um, and and one of the ones I remember was Blade Runner. Um, I think my dad had my dad was not a particularly um, I don't know not a particularly intellectual man um, but uh, I, you know I, I sort of knew him by a lot of the films that he watched we'd watch them together um, he tended to like like this dystopian story like hmm. he liked Escape from New York you know, yeah. he, you know he liked Free Jack I think mm-hmm. it's the movie yeah yeah Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah and he, he liked Blade Runner and, and there was you know there was a Many of our, like, we had, like, six-hour VHS tapes. Many of them had, like, several movies on them, That's but we had nice. one that had just Blade
1: Runner. <laughs> oh. Just Blade Runner In at the SP top. SP versus SLP. S-LP. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right,
2: yeah. yeah. Um, higher quality, higher you know? Higher quality, yeah. um, and, and that was the first time I, had, I watched it. I watched it on VHS at home. And it would have been from... pan
1: and scan and mono. Yeah. So even that. I mean, because a...
2: it was single speaker, but, you know. <laughs> was, um, and I remember watching it, you know, I don't know, was I 9, 11? On you know, your night.
1: giant 19-inch TV. Yeah, yeah.
2: Giant, it was giant bevel in the front, you know, mm-hmm. like a giant bubble. Um, and I remember watching it, and it was like, ah, I, you know, I was like, it was like dark. Mm-hmm. I didn't, t- you know, like there's adults talking about things. <laughs> who, you know, like, there's not a lot of action for me to figure out what's going on. And then there's like people shooting each other. And yeah. I don't entirely know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, as I've gotten older and watched it many times and mm-hmm. many different versions of it, like, you know, it's, a, it's some way for me to understand um, a little bit about, more about my father. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, because it's something that he liked. Yeah. Um, you know, and something that held in great esteem because it was on a you know, special VHS tape. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I think that, I mean, I don't know if that's what most people's experiences of it were. But, mm-hmm. like, my under- like, when I think of, like, Blade Runner, when someone says Blade mm-hmm. Runner, I like. I don't often think of that original 1982 version. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think about this quasi-amorphous story movie that exists That's in several versions. Because you're very versions. young, <laughs> and, and you missed it in its yeah. first yeah. Its first round. Um, but so one of the things I wanted to bring up was um, when I had read a couple, I heard a couple things on NPR and read a couple mm-hmm. of New York Times articles about 2049. Yeah, um, and I was surprised at a couple things. One that um, when they when they talked about Blade Runner the movie you know and said mm-hmm. this is a sequel to Blade Runner um, the the thing they talked about the Blade Runner was the original 1982 theatrical release mm-hmm. um, which uh, I mean, I think we should talk a little bit about the different versions I mean yeah. like so I hope that like um, this could function as a little bit of a primer for those that like just want to know a little bit about the right old Blade it. Runner before going into the new one mm-hmm. um, do you want to talk a little bit about different versions Steve
1: Yeah well one of the things that a lot of people you know, everyone thinks about Ridley Scott as this, like, acclaimed A-level Hollywood director. Yeah. And when he made Blade Runner, he wasn't. You know, <laughs> he'd only had one big hit. His first movie was called The Duelist. Completely forgettable movie. <laughs> the second film was Alien, which was, everyone thinks of Alien as this big, huge movie. Right. It was a minor success. Hmm. It was not a huge box office success. You know, you have to remember, in the late 70s, we had Star Wars, Superman, Close Encounter. Yeah. You know, these were big successes. Mm-hmm. Alien was, did okay. Yeah. But it gave him the clout to make Blade Runner, but he did not have final say on it. On it, yeah. So he finished the film, and as they do, they tested it. So they, they took it out in March of 1982 and showed it to a bunch of people, and the collective label what the hell is this? <laughs> it tested incredibly poorly. Mm. Um, as a result, the studio took it away from Ridley Scott and said, okay, we got to explain what's going on. So they brought in one of the screenwriters and had him write all the voiceover dialogue, brought Harrison Ford in to, for a day and just mm-hmm. cut all the dialogue, put it together, and then they also said, well, this whole bleak ending, we got to do <laughs> something with it. What do we got? Yeah. Well, Warner Brothers had made The Shining two years earlier, and they had a whole bunch of helicopter footage of the opening from The Shining of the helicopter mm-hmm. zooming That's around. Road, yeah. So they took some of that unused footage, slapped that at the end, and came up with a the theatrical version of Blade Runner. Mm. What they didn't really know at the time is a very, very smart technician somewhere along the line made a VHS copy of that original test version. Mm. And after the film flopped in the theaters, Mm -hmm. um, that version over the next decade or so started getting passed around Hollywood Mm. and people would see it and started to realize there was kind of an alternate version of Blade Runner. Yeah. Um, and that's what really started this whole interest in going back to it, Mm. um, so right away we had Ridley Scott's original version right. that he that was unfinished, that was a test version. Hmm. So it wasn't even a finished version. Yeah. Then there was the studio-mandated theatrical, theatrical version. Release, yeah. Then they brought it out on home video. And hmm. when they brought it out on home video, they also, in an attempt to kind of sell it a little more... Um, when they shot some of the, the violent scenes, mm-hmm. uh, Ridley Scott kind of looked at it and said, oh, this is a little too gruesome, mm-hmm. and trimmed it back. Now, mm-hmm. part of that is it could have been to get an R rating. Because right. remember, that they were in the big battle of the X and the R at the yeah, time. Yeah. Um, but on home video, they restored all that graphic violence. Mm-hmm. So now we have a third version of Blade Runner. We have the, for video, unrated mm-hmm. version. Mm-hmm. So right then and there, by 1983, <laughs> there's three <laughs> the different three versions. versions of wow. Blade Runner. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, it went on and, and this other version that VHS got passed around. And by the early 90s, it was kind of this legend that people, people always knew somebody who knew someone who, had, who was at someone's house, who saw an alternate <laughs> version of Blade Runner hmm. that didn't have the voiceover narration and had a different ending. So that was kind of this, it was this whole myth of, did it really exist? Did it really exist? And then... By the '90s, you know the the film had sold quite well on video, and that mm-hmm. was what precipitated the director's cut. Yeah, and of course Ridley Scott, they went and said, "Hey, can we do a director's cut?" And he's like, "Yeah, great idea." And they're like, "Cool, we'll get back to you with it." <laughs> so they created this director's cut. They showed it to him, and he goes, yeah. "Yep, I like it." <laughs> and um, but that wasn't so. The one that's labeled was the director's really cut his? wasn't really his, yeah. which is why ten years later he did sit down and mm-hmm. cut it together um, and created. The final cut, which is really the director's cut. Um, the other thing that I don't people know too much is um, one of the big changes in the the director's, in, in addition to taking out the voiceover narration, was adding mm. in the unicorn sequence, the mm-hmm. dream sequence. Yeah, that's actually from Legend. Hmm. Now, is it? That, that's from an Legends? outtake hmm. from Ridley Scott's Legend. Hmm. Is they, they wanted to wonderful film, by the way. It is a wonderful. It yeah. is a wonderful. And, I love and it. have you seen both versions? No, I because have not. again, the the American version of Legend is eighty five minutes. The original version is two hours, so thirty-five minutes are missing, wow. and a completely different musical score. It's yeah. two entirely different hmm. movies. I have it. We can watch both later. Okay. So okay. <laughs> um, but again, another film yeah. that the studio I always changed. saw
0: that connection, and I was like, yeah. Does Ridley Scott just like unicorns?
1: What yeah, no. That? He yeah. had they actually they <laughs> actually had all this footage <laughs> yeah. left over, and that was where huh. it they they pulled it. Well, so it's interesting sense. because the final version of Blade Runner. Includes footage from The Shining and from Legend, in addition to Blade Runner. <laughs> right. In it. So a lot of people don't realize that that's, mm-hmm. that's where that came from. So, so. Yeah. Well, yeah. I should say they jettisoned the footage from The Shining. That's only right. a theatrical cut. Yeah. But the unicorn stick. Yeah, and from what I understand, the
0: production itself was didn't go very smoothly either. Yeah. Harrison Ford had a pretty rough time shooting in rain all the time and yep. these sort of gritty scenes and also didn't really love the voiceover and didn't try very hard. Well, so, so, that, yeah. that's interesting. That's yeah. an
1: urban myth. Really? Actually, yeah. We were actually talking about this before yeah. we started this. So um, uh, yeah. So even going back further, the original mm-hmm. script was written by a guy named Hampton Fincher. Mm-hmm. And then the, his script was even denser. Than mm-hmm. what was what made, made. Um, his script was actually rewritten by David Peoples, and mm-hmm. then the two of them are co credited as co writers. Yeah. So they and David Peoples is a well known kind of um, Hollywood script doctor. Uh-huh. He was the one that was brought in to write that narration. I so after they, they tested it and they tested poorly, mm-hmm. they're like, okay, this is coming out in June. We got to do something. Yeah. They brought um, the writer back in and, you know, came up with this Also, brought Harrison Ford in for a day. Right. Uh-huh. And the, the story is that Harrison Ford hated the narration that he purposely tried right. to read it as flat and monotone as mm-hmm. possible. He said later on that they, it was done in such a hurry. They never really gave him any direction, any direction. on how to do it. And he said, Just he goes, saying. I tried to do the best I could, Yeah, but everyone has always thought that he purposely, because mm. if you go back and, and watch it with the narration, it is pretty flat. Yeah. Um, but it also, it's really clunkily written. I mean, it's mm-hmm. basically, let's explain to the audience right. what this is. Yeah. And that's really all. It, it was really, it's... it's to tell them what's going yeah, on. Yeah, it's a classic attempt of the studio saying, mm-hmm. we have a film that's way too dense. We need to have people explain what it is. We're going to hold their hand as they walk through it and tell yeah. them what to think. And you're never going to deviate. So when you took mm-hmm. out the the narration... All of a sudden, you have a film that its ideas and its themes are really what you put into it. Right. So, Much more you, subtle, yeah. yeah, you can look at it and say the movie's about this, and mm-hmm. I can look at it and say it's about that. Right. That's what makes Blade Runner so interesting now. Mm-hmm. And it's probably one of the better, more contemporary examples of a film that has multiple interpretations, like yeah. 2001 A Space Odyssey. Mm-hmm. I mean, that movie you can debate to the end of time. Right. Is it, you know, about atheism or is it the ultimate film about <laughs> God? Yeah. I mean, it's both, depending yeah. on your perception. Yeah. Yeah, that's
0: interesting. I mean, that's what I always love about Blade Runner until people, like... I know some people don't enjoy it because it's so slow, mm-hmm. and uh, maybe that's just not... They're not into those idea-type
1: mm-hmm. films. Well, they think it's an action yeah. film. That's yeah. I don't know how, over the years, so many people think Blade Runner is an mm-hmm. action film. Mm-hmm. In two hours, there's about ten minutes of action. Yeah, yeah there's, and that's very,
0: little it. Action, there's yeah. very little action.
1: There's very little action. But I think... And I think part of it is... is is it's so rare to see a science fiction film these days mm-hmm. that isn't an action film. True. I mean, really, how many films that are gr- really good science fiction films of mm-hmm. the last 25 years, Arrival, in yeah. last yep. year, is one fabulous. of the few, which is yeah. exact exactly, a great movie. Um, and I would love to see more of that stuff, but yeah. somehow science fiction got tied with action, action. and mm-hmm. hasn't been able to untie itself. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, part of that is we're still the ripple effect of Star Wars. You know, yeah. Star Wars changed the game Walk in 77. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that it had really established science fiction as a saleable mm-hmm. genre mm-hmm. and not necessarily a standalone without having the action, yeah. you know, to, to take it, to put it a kind of a, a trope for people to follow it. Yeah. And I wish it would split apart. But of course, Blade Runner 2049, no spoilers here, um, <laughs> is absolutely bombing at the box office. So yeah. the uh, idea of intellectual science fiction movies probably w- not gonna is happen. probably not going to happen. Yeah. No
0: yeah that that was one question I had kind of broader for you guys looking at this Um, we can say a lot has been said about how influential Blade Runner is uh, on the history of film after it Mm -hmm. and you know certainly visually uh, maybe the biggest part but can you think of any other sci-fi films besides maybe 2001 that have had that big of an impact on sci-fi film overall or sci-fi stories since then uh, I know. I think Arrival is a really good example of smart,
1: intelligent sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, with a medium box office. Yes, you have yeah. to remember. because remember, yeah. this is this
0: successful is, for that yeah.
1: film. I yeah, think show nice business one. is three syllables, <laughs> two of which are business. Yeah, yeah. you always yeah. have to approach the film industry, mm-hmm. understanding that for the most part, it is not art. Mm-hmm. So. Um, mm-hmm. For me, the movie that that really has a lot of inspiration is Metropolis, right hmm. back from mm-hmm. you know the nineteen twenties. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and a lot of people, even if they haven't actually sat down and seen the movie, they at least know the famous sequences from mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Metropolis really has owes a lot to Blade Runner than any other yeah. film in terms mm-hmm. of its. Look yeah to it. But the, the other thing is it it also has a lot of just classic noir. Mm-hmm. you know the whole idea that everybody's smoking and yeah. you know how they're shooting it with light going through mm-hmm. the smoke. I mm-hmm. mean it's, the cinematography on it is yeah. absolutely right from 1940s Hollywood mm-hmm. Noir. Yeah, we get the
0: blinds and the yeah, lines and the, of light coming on them. Yeah, and,
1: and it's it's down. it's really quite striking mm-hmm. that Blade Runner really looks more like a, a, a you know the Maltese Falcon right. than it looks like Star Wars. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, this I, I rewatched it lately. Uh, I mean, I rewatch it often, but I rewatched it lately more thinking about um, where I am in my life now. I've become more of a conscious noir fan. Um, even though I've kind of been into those films for a while. So I kind of watched it more. People always talk about it being neo-noir and kind of future noir, kind of throwing out these terms. But what really elements are going on in that that it's borrowing from or that it's using in a specific way? And so I tried to think about, you know, what the blending of, you know, sci-fi, dystopian future, and noir Like, why was that so effective and interesting and what did it bring to it? Mm -hmm. Um, So maybe you guys can talk about it too, but some elements I think of in... Noir is always about, in some way, this sort of fatalistic attitude or Mm -hmm. there's always kind of this sense that uh, the characters are doomed in some way. Mm -hmm. That uh, the detective, if there's kind of a detective story that he's kind of going more into the case that we're seeing, you know, normally he he doesn't really care so much. He just does the job um, and he's a little bit, you know, depressed, drinks a lot, whatever Mm -hmm. it might be. But this, this case he cares about, or he Mm -hmm. ends up caring about someone. Mm -hmm. Um, And and it kind of brings out these ideas of what it really means to have a relationship that changes you or causes you to do things you wouldn't normally do. So I think, For me, that's what I was noticing is that there is this sense with the replicants that they are sort of like doomed in their lifespan, that there is this end to it. And also, I think just in general, everybody on Earth, uh, they talk about, you know, going um, off Earth to get away, to escape, but everybody there just kind of seems stuck. They can't go anywhere. They're just kind of like lonely, living in their own homes. So even like Deckard seems like... What he doesn't really have like a point in living, he's just like getting by, it's existing, not living. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. so I kind of saw those elements (laughs) that it's bringing, and certainly we could talk about like a femme fatale and all these different ideas. But um, yeah, the
1: other thing too is the whole idea that you know sometimes the story. What it's, you know, it's the classic MacGuffin. What mm-hmm. is driving the story isn't necessarily what it's about. Yeah. If you go back to the Maltese Falcon. Now, spoiler here, it's been 80 years. If you don't know this already. <laughs> you can spoil too, it. Yeah. Yeah, we spoil yeah, everything. Yeah. In yeah. So yeah. the Maltese Falcon, you never find out what was in this bird, yeah. the statue. You, yeah. you never actually find yeah. out yeah. what's in it. And I like that because mm-hmm. in Blade Runner, there is a lot of stuff that you don't find out. Yeah. The film ends with mm-hmm. a lot of questions. Yeah. And I like that because mm-hmm. I don't think that a movie needs to tell you everything mm-hmm. in order for it to be enjoyable. Yeah. And I think that's a, that's a noir thing is, mm-hmm. yeah. is that the, you know, the ultimate, what the movie is about is really not what the movie's about. If you, yeah. if you watch Chinatown, mm-hmm. you know, Chinatown is about a land deal, mm-hmm. you know, about yeah. water and no, it's not, yeah. <laughs> you know, if you've seen it and I won't spoil that one. Yeah. Um, but that's the thing about noir that I really like is mm-hmm. that all, they they lure you in with the idea of seeing this and then yeah. they deliver you that. Yeah. Right, and but, I
0: think some of it is that I think that plays into it. Like famously, The Big Sleep, mm-hmm. uh, when they were filming it, they they called the original writer and they said, what, what kind of happens at this point? We're a little confused. And he's like, I don't really know either. <laughs> um, like all the little plot points don't always add up. And I think that also just speaks to like the complexity of when you get down in the muck with people and mm-hmm. um, there's these bad things happening and bad people, like everything is sort of confused in that sense. And I, I think we get that same feel in Blade Runner as well. Like yeah. it's it's not necessarily about like following all these points in the plot, like you mentioned before. Um, like it's just talking about sort of dwelling in these ideas and mm-hmm. things like that that were kind of brought. Yeah.
2: Well, I think also, I mean, for me, like I didn't, I mean I didn't have a sophisticated like film upbringing as a kid mm-hmm. and like I didn't really even understand what noir I mean like the first noir films right. that I saw were neo noir like like <laughs> yeah, yeah. I saw Brick which I loved Did, yeah. I, you know, and someone's like it's neo noir I'm like I don't really know what, what that is and, <laughs> yeah. you know and then you know and I loved it I yeah. loved it style I loved everything about it you know and then I, like I also saw Gone Baby Gone mm-hmm. which which I love I lo- and 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 like having you know um, I also, for a period of time, was working on teaching noir in a high school class. So, like, I watched a bunch of classic noir. One of my favorites is *Murder My Sweet*. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and you know, and and um, you know, we also watched Chinatown and other things. But the, one of the things that I loved most about um, the, the the style of noir, you know, the tropes of noir, um, is that you know this this dark German philosophical perspective. <laughs> that, like, it's just it's just horrible. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, well that comes out of German expression yeah, 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 was, yeah. that's what metropolis was yeah. yeah
2: um and it there's something about it like just just the the gestalt of it or mm-hmm. you know the structure of it it's like this is how this is how I look at it. this is how I believe the world is mm-hmm. you know it's not a mess but it's if you if you tell the truth about things they're a lot more challenging than we talk about on a daily basis right the yeah. other part that I loved is is the the one thing that in every noir film our, our protagonist is trying to do is find the truth, and he's fiercely committed to it over mm-hmm. anything else. It's one of the reasons why I like The Wire. I mean, The Wire is mm-hmm. is not necess- it's not really a noir show, mm-hmm. but the beginning of it, the entire show starts because Jimmy gives a shit when it's not his turn, mm-hmm. right? Which is the which is the essence of what drives the like you know uh, the latter part of every noir story when when you go like down into right. the in the dregs. Right. There's mm-hmm. a lot of good. Um, you know, like, Japanese noir, where, like... And some of it gets crazy. You know, like, <laughs> urban zombies and all kinds of mm-hmm. stuff. But, like, when we go... We go f- that that next level, um, that was always interesting to me. Because it's also, like, our protagonist is the only one in this world that wants to know. And, and is fiercely committed to knowing, finding out, and discarding with all the bullshit. Mm-hmm. Like, they don't... They, they, they finally in their life don't care about all this fake nonsense. Mm-hmm. And, like, th- that is, like, a... I always identified with that quest. Like mm-hmm. I want to know. Like it is, it is to know the truth yeah. of what is going on, mm-hmm. as good or bad as it is. I want to know, um, and, and and like that's the journey that I always like. And that's like a it's a very symbolic journey from like ignorance to truth. Like you don't. There's no you know Buffy style stabbing a monster in the heart in that sure. journey, because mm-hmm. um, it's usually tremendously disappointing. Sure. Like finding out what it is is you know whether it's. Chinatown or Gone Baby Gone or Murder My Sweet or anything, like what you find out is very bad. Yeah. Usually far worse than, you, than, than our character or even the audience mm-hmm. in a Good Noir film ever knew at the beginning. Um, and that's one of the things that I, I loved about Blade Runner as I got to watch it over the years, you know, and, and it moved from seeing the theatrical version to the director's cut and then just recently, you know, the final mm-hmm. cut. Um, you know, like Decker is trying to, and he's trying to figure out various truths, you know, depending mm-hmm. on your perspective. Um, and he, and like he, is reluctantly journeying through finding those things out. And I, I'm happy to go with him on that journey. I don't care where he goes or what he does, but um, he's always trying to to figure out a little bit more. Um, the other, One of the other things that I like about Blade Runner, and I, I, I feel like it's obscure because I've never heard it mentioned it before, but I feel like it's one of my unique contributions I can make to it, is um, one of the other things that I like and study is like... Um, epic poetry mm-hmm. um, and I, I studied a lot like, about Can you recite Beowulf? No, no, no no. Uh, <laughs> uh, South Asian epic poetry like the Ramayana <laughs> and the Marabada the, the two great epics of India mm-hmm. um, and the Ramayana exists in a number of books um, and one of the things that's said about it um, is that it, um, in in the course of the story it contains all of the traditional like feelings and modes you know Mm -hmm. Um, i don't know all of them but you know there's like adventure there's sumptuous there's erotic you know there's you know there's all these different Mm -hmm. um there's humorous and in each book and each sort of passage Mm -hmm. is often identified as having having one of these particular moods and one of the things i like about blade runner is there and also like disgust right that's one of the things I like about Blade Runner because I can watch it from beginning to end, and I and I feel like I go through all these different things. Mm. There's mystery, there's action, there's a little bit of like sexy and uncomfortable. Mm. There's a little bit of sweet and tender. Um, and the, the situation when they go to the, the the guy's house who has the makes the little puppet things.
0: Jf Jf Sebastian. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. It's yeah. Sebastian. Yeah.
2: I, I always find it. I always find it
1: disgusting. Mm-hmm. I
2: like. I'm. Sort of a pulse by it, and it makes me. I mean, What's the name of the building to be a he lives grotesque. in? grotesque. Yeah. I don't know.
1: The Bradbury. <laughs> Bradbury. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: yeah. Um, and you know, and initially I was like, oh, like I don't, you know. And then, then like the punching through the rainy, dirty walls. I'm mm-hmm. like, this is just like. I it's just a really, dirty world. He's really yeah. turned off by it? Um, but the more I watch it, the more uh, when I've watched the whole film, it's sort of like has effectively scratched all the itches. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't feel like I'm. I'm left wanting for some kind of emotional um, address or, you know, some kind of feeling or emotion. I'm, like, Mm -hmm. pretty satisfied as it goes throughout. And that's something that, um, I don't know, myself, I find it remarkable. It's one of the reasons I like it a lot. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of other films, like, you can tell especially well you know like well produced slick ones that make a lot of money like it is a single feeling they are going for mm-hmm. yeah. that they vacillate through at various points they give you the big punch at the thing and, you, and you're done um, and you know and like you know and everything's are, are organized around that from the marketing to the people that are cast in it to the kind of script that's there to the music that's done to the style mm-hmm. of you know yeah. cinematography and I like the Blade Runner though it's dark it has you know like the, the part when he's in talking with like the snake woman Mm-hmm. And he's like like a, he's like an inspector. You yeah. know? I mean, like, it's, it's absurd. Yeah. And when I first watched it, I was like, this is, this is so <laughs> dumb. Um, but the more I watch it, the more like I appreciate this little bit of silliness in yeah. the whole thing. Because it, it kind of allows the serious stuff to be a little more serious.
0: I only recently realized, um, I'm a big fan of The Big Sleep. And uh, there's a part where he goes into a little bookshop. And he pretends to be this like book dealer and he kind of flips his hat up and does this like funny voice and like it just reads really struck me like yeah. that's exactly what Harrison Ford's doing. He, like, yeah. And I think that's, a, does, that's an old yeah. noir trope that yep. goes with it. So. Yep.
1: So, the interesting thing about Blade Runner is, you know, it's such a tr- troubled production. Mm-hmm. How much of the final movie that people mm-hmm. love is really a result of mistakes? you know as they're filming it you know what was on the page didn't translate to what they actually filmed and they have to edit it all together yeah now we look back and go oh my god this is such a <laughs> masterous wondrous film yeah. how much of that was purely by accident mm-hmm. you know that's the interesting thing and especially a film that has gone through so many different variations of it yeah it really does make you wonder as to how much of a film is the actual prepared art and how much of it is just a lucky accident
0: yeah I mean, Looking at Ridley Scott today, we when his last film we reviewed, Alien Covenant, uh, Jeremy and I did not appreciate very much at
1: all. Um, let me just say this. Um, <laughs> I I said I would not swear on your podcast. Uh, I already do. We, we can mark it with explicit. It. Stuff that, like that. Uh, that was one of the biggest pieces of shit I have ever seen. <laughs> um, I, I called it... Um, friday the alien because <laughs> it was it was the biggest budget friday the 13th movie yeah. that's ever been made and yeah. that's all it was it was on yeah. par with any of the friday the 13th and
0: oddly movies. enough most critics were pretty positive on this one which i thought it was I like a get. turn i didn't get either i think part of it is prometheus
1: yeah. tried to do some really really big ideas and didn't quite get there yep and i think this was a reaction of we tried to go someplace really big, and, and mm-hmm. so now we're going to go the exact opposite direction. Right. And I think a lot of critics walked into it going, "Oh, is this going to be another Prometheus? What the hell's going on?" Right. And when it wasn't, they were relieved. <laughs> relieved. Uh, unfortunately, yeah. I kind of went into it liking Prometheus. I and as well. um, yeah. Yeah, it's a flawed movie. Right. I'll admit that. But yeah. I, I, I would rather watch an interesting failure mm-hmm. than a mediocre success. For sure. I've always said that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the Alien Covenant was, wow, that's... And they're just like, we're going to make four more of them. And I'm right. like, oh, no. Yeah, I don't know or if like, I mean, going to What's going to happen
0: now. in those other films? Yeah. yeah. And, well, a few things about that. Um Oddly, he didn't make the new Blade Runner. Produced it, he, but he's, and he executive produced. He it, seems so, to be pulling yeah. Alien into the direction of talking about like artificial intelligence. Yes, and these androids, yeah. and it's weird because that's what Blade and they st- is and about. they
1: still dream about electric yeah. sheep. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
0: and but uh, I guess I am a big fan of Alien. Mm-hmm. I am too. Blade Runner and Legend we yep. brought up, but I feel like progressively, I think he is a. Strong craftsman of mm-hmm. the film art, like mm-hmm. he has great images still. Mm-hmm. Um, everything is like on point, sounds great. Uh, but I think he lost like his poetry sort of. I do too, and yep. and I don't, and like I, guess, I think he's
1: an old man desperation mode. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. I don't, and I don't yeah. mean that. I mean, he's eighty years old or right mm-hmm. around eighty. Mm-hmm. You know the. The clock is ticking, yeah. And I, I think he's and, and David Lean kind of got in the mm. same way in his later life. David yeah. Lean only made three movies in like mm-hmm. the last twenty. Kubrick yeah. is another one that mm-hmm. um, you could really argue was in this like race against the clock to really do something profound. Yeah, and I think we're seeing that now. Is he's in this? You know, he knows that his time is limited, sure, yeah. and he's wants to leave some big profound mm. mark. Mm-hmm. And I think and, and it's interesting that you mentioned artificial intelligence because that is a major theme of the <laughs> s- second Blade right. Runner movie which we're not going to talk about um, but I, I think that and I, and I think that that is content- because we are moving into the era of you know everybody has Siri on their phones mm-hmm. and everybody has you know voice activated stuff and, yeah. and we're seeing more and more of that stuff coming to our lives mm-hmm. and I think that that's it's really interesting to see where it will go in the next 10-15 years I and mean, yeah. the whole idea of you know, when you get sick, the first doctor you will see will be an AI doctor. Mm-hmm. And they will be able to diagnose, diagnose you. Yeah. And if they can't quite figure it out, then it goes on to a real, a real physical physician. person. Yeah. But, I mean, it, it, you know, I'm a marketing professor, and, and we talk yeah. about this, that in when you call into a company for tech support, or, mm-hmm. or when you chat, are you talking to a real person? You're not. You're talking mm-hmm. to an AI only if the ai can't figure it out does it actually get transferred yep. to a real person. They kind of filter it out. Yeah, and that's usually pretty seamless. You don't mm-hmm. even realize the point at which it goes from ai to real person. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm not scared of the robot revolution. <laughs> I am perfectly fine with this. And I think, you know, Blade Runner does bring up a lot of really interesting ideas, and it's even the marketing slogan of um, the company more human than human. Mm-hmm. This and that's the whole idea of both these films. both, both yeah. Blade Runner sequel is is what is it to be human? Mm-hmm. And I that's one of the things about the the initial director's cut when they took out the narration when they added the unicorn and took out that that crap ending. It did bring up the whole idea of is is Deckard a replicant? Yeah. And if so, did he know he was a replicant? And mm-hmm. even if he was a replicant, does that make him somehow less i mean you Mm -hmm. look at rachel and she had her her memories and she obviously had just as much emotional pain as a regular human being in fact in in the whole film of blade runner what person is the most emotionally vulnerable person it's rachel it's rachel yeah you know it's certainly not deckard it's certainly (laughs) not his boss yeah you know it it's it's amazing that the most
0: Roy Batty, yeah, yeah, or even the other Gaff, his assistant Gaff, Mm -hmm. and even
1: J.F. Sebastian and all the Mm -hmm. other—they're sympathetic, Mm -hmm. but they don't really have any emotional depth, like Rachel does. And Mm -hmm. the idea that that emotional depth may have been programmed in—that's that's that's really interesting because there is the big debate: Are we just forms of walking computers? That Mm -hmm. eventually we'll develop a supercomputer that has the computing power of a human brain, and then will that become sentient? That's the big. That's where Asimov's ideas <laughs> yeah. of uh, you know kick in as yeah. to what is human.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is uh, one of my favorite ideas. We've talked about artificial intelligence before in the show. We did a Ghost in the Shell episode, yeah. and I think that's one of my favorite elements. Is somehow when you talk about artificial intelligence and artificial beings, like suddenly it brings out all of these concepts about what makes us human, mm-hmm. because we're looking at something that's purported to not be human um and in blade runner they it progressively develops this idea that they are more perfect than us Um, like more human than human yeah and sebastian at one point you know they asked like why are you staring at us and he's just like you're so so perfect Mm -hmm. you're so amazing to, to witness and um and so i think that that makes and i think that's with Deckard at the point that he thinks he's human, mm-hmm. it kind of makes him nervous um, mm-hmm. that he maybe isn't strong enough to defeat them or, uh, you know, things are progressing past, you know, his prowess or something like that. Uh, makes us look kind of more frail as humans and things mm-hmm. like that. So I really like that that concept or at least bringing those, that dichotomy to what makes us human and whatnot. And for me, what I found fascinating is the memories that they talk about. Mm -hmm. So Rachel has these implanted memories that she totally feels are real. Mm -hmm. And that sort of brings her some humanity, Mm -hmm. um, of that. And I think just personally, like exploring, like you said, like, what is the difference if she feels a lot more than these humans? Like, does that make her more human, more real? Mm -hmm. And if we took away our memories, um as like they've gone like experience. tears in the rain you know, tears in the rain yeah like what which makes was improv by the way right it was yeah, <laughs> yeah was added uh what makes us who we are and i and i do think there's something to our experiences sort of implant on us and even like a physical way or something mm-hmm. like who we are and can recall things even if we don't have a physical memory um and i don't know i was developing a script that had some ai stuff in it at one point so i probably will yeah. continue well, those and, concepts and, and just point, because yeah.
1: an entity is is created does mm-hmm. that mean that they're necessarily good or bad and yeah you know you look at like tyrell and mm-hmm. this is an interesting thing about the 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 memories when mm-hmm. when if you think about this think about yeah. this one when Deckard's talking to Rachel, and he's obviously seen her folder of all the different memory implants, mm-hmm. one of the memories was Rachel as a little girl playing doctor with her brother right. where they dropped clothes. Okay. So obviously that memory has been taken out of the girl that that actually happened to. And mm-hmm. they say it's Tyrell's niece. Yes, yeah. So this man basically went in and took the memories, the, these sexually exploitive mm. memories of a child... Out of his niece to implant it in there what type of person is is Tyrell yeah that if you really think about that it's it's really kind of creepy the whole Mm -hmm. thing that it's this whole like child sex memory Hmm. that you know of course we have the spider eating the the children (laughs) but it's it's this whole idea that Rachel is such a genuinely nice good person Mm -hmm. and then Tyrell seems like oh you know he's another he's a savior of humanity because all these great tech giants like Steve Jobs and all this are saviors of the planet and mm-hmm. you can debate whether or not they they were or or not yeah but ultimately what was Tyrell's kind of being as a person mm-hmm. was he a good person if he was doing all these potentially Bad things.
0: Yeah, I mean, he def—they definitely play it like he has sort of a god complex. You oh, very know? much like so. When Roy comes to meet him, he very much treats him like you are my creation, You're my, my child. Yeah, yeah. You know that I that created you, and trying to be sort of like at least appear sympathetic to right. his plight. But um, yeah, he has this godlike perspective that yeah, your time is ending, but mm-hmm. you live this great life, yeah. and
1: um, but he doesn't have vision, and that's why yeah. Roy pops his eyes out because <laughs> that's symbolic that you lack vision to really understand what is the meaning of life. And Mm -hmm. that's why he, he kills him in a very deliberate way by taking Mm -hmm. his eyes out. Right. So of course, depending on which version of the film, that's one (laughs) of those, that's one of those scenes that that's gone through about three (laughs) different edits. In terms of how graphic that is,
0: and certainly there's something about the eyes in the film. Yeah, and um, I know Jeremy. I don't know if on the show you talked about like the the sort of glare yeah, light know, still, in the eyes. I mean, glitter, I, I yeah.
2: watched like the final cut mm-hmm. twice with this, like a, trying to find it, like a with with the the, the question. Right. Like, like are These we are, yeah. are we given clues? Are you talking about the
1: things in the eyes? There yeah. Was, no, that's that's purely. Uh, cinematographer's thing. A lot of people have talked about that. That you can tell if they're a replicant because of they've got this like a well, like their uh, eyes kind of glow. Yeah, I, that's purely well, here's a the thing. Well, so, style.
2: But whether I mean, so for me, it doesn't. Um, when I looked at it, and the thing I said about it was not that. like... But if you
1: want it to mean that, you can. <laughs> well, yeah. you can. Well, so
2: I? For me, it, it, it didn't um, because it happens to various characters when they sh- when they shift from a black iris to a reflective iris. Right. And for me, it's not like um, this person's a replicant or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like, you know, because it happens to Decker at the end, you know, like he, mm-hmm. he's contemplating the dying Roy, you know, and he has he has sort of these black irises and then these reflective irises, which other people have at various points. It just for me, like highlights this person is contemplating these two things right. like humanity versus, you know, being a replicant. And, and like for me, like one of the reasons why I justify it as a reading is like the film begins the first time we see people with an individual examining someone else's eye. Plus, yeah. mm-hmm. well, mm-hmm. in that
1: whole opening shot, there's that giant eye. Right. Yeah. Whose yeah, eye is sure. that? That's yeah. one of the things, is people, yeah. Who is that, yeah. whose eye is that?
2: Yeah. Um, and it just sort of tells me, I mean, like, visually it says, like you need to pay attention to what people's eyes are doing in this mm-hmm. film because it'll mm-hmm. be important.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that's a lucky accident. Yeah. Well,
0: yeah I mean, I, yeah i
2: heard definitively lately an
0: interview with the screenwriters, and then at the end, they and one of them, they didn't even know. They mm-hmm. said, uh, at one point he said, there was some something in one of the scripts that didn't quite make it that implied something about Deckard being a replicant, mm-hmm. um, but they didn't end up using that line, but he said, I don't know if Ridley got this idea from mm-hmm. that. And then the second unit director... Joined them, and she said they they did purposely do with the replicants the eye reflection thing, Um, but like Harrison Ford at one point like walked into a shot that he wasn't supposed to be in, and it like caught his eyes, and she said that Ridley Scott told her that like that was the moment that he got the idea. um, I think it's retconning, and that's thing is
1: with with a film like Blade Runner because it has been discussed so much. Yeah. People can go back and read into this stuff and mm-hmm. say, Oh, this is what they were thinking all along. Yeah. I, I I know enough about how movies are made. Yeah. It's a happy accident. Yeah. And, and well, after the she, yeah. yeah. If you after the fact you can go back and look at it and yeah. and go, Well, that's what we meant all along.
0: Well, I think she was saying he didn't really like put it into the film at that time, but it gave it planted the idea in his head mm-hmm. for later to put it to I think until the director's cut, then he was probably contemplating this concept, and then said, "Yeah, I'm going to do this now." I, I really
2: make the argument um, uh, that I'm about to make, but yeah. there's an, there, there's I, so like I, I rarely divorce the art from the artist. I know that it's like very popular in academic circles. I've always of railed against it, but I think this is one of those cases where like um, the the text itself, the film like has this sort of spectrum of meaning in it, mm-hmm. that whether or not it was intended, yeah. um, it's, it, it's valuable and produces interesting, like, mm-hmm. contemplative ideas as going mm-hmm. through it. Yeah. Um, whether or not he intended it or not. I mean, you know, like, it could, you know. Yeah. Um,
1: well, it, it, it's irrelevant because if we're discussing it, then it is art. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's the thing is though, yeah. whether or not the, the process that created it, mm-hmm. whether or not it was a flawed process or the intention was different, yeah. the fact of the matter is, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. And to us, it is art. And we can look at that and see it that way. Mm-hmm. And it'd be interesting to be able to travel back in time and talk to Michelangelo. <laughs> yeah, and, right. and talk about some of the stuff that... He intended, and he's yeah. like, was that always meant to be like that? And he's like, no, that was a mistake. And I just, yeah. I just covered it up this way. And everybody looks at it as the incredibly brilliant mm-hmm. choice. Yeah. And it wasn't a choice. It was a reaction. Mm-hmm. There's a very big difference between a choice and a reaction.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think in many ways, looking back at Blade Runner, I think it... Did sort of like capture lightning in a bottle. Like, it did. Uh, I think a lot of people were given free enough free reign to be artistic and creative mm-hmm. in their own field, whether it's the you know production designers, graphic designers, the cinematographer. That somehow everything came together just mm-hmm. sort of beautifully um, to create these ideas, and that's always what I love about it, and why I like watching it so many times. It it does have this like depth. Layers to it, and you see new stuff. Yeah, Yeah. and so I always pull out new things, and even just that world that I just don't question it for a second. Mm -hmm. You know, Um, it's so living. And everybody talks about the practical effects and everything like that. Oh yeah, and I think that certainly plays a part into it. But um, yeah, I think those those artists uh, knew what they were doing, or at least it just came together in a way that oh, it did. It it was absolute lightning,
1: and it's magical. I mean, it just Mm -hmm. it is just. Everything just was firing on all cylinders, yep. even if they didn't realize it at the time. Yeah. It was such a troubled production. Mm-hmm. But I think in hindsight, it really is up there as one of the greatest films ever made, Yeah. whether or not it was meant to be or not. So so an interesting thing, once you've seen the second movie, no spoilers, the same <laughs> thing. I do have a new theory about Blade Runner, is huh. that I don't think it, it occurs on Earth. Huh. I, I don't. After, I, I really think that... Um, it is a different universe. That's it is not supposed to be our future. I believe that. Hmm. And it really makes me want to go back. And of course, a lot has been talked about as the, the you know the the whole myth of the the business curse. Every business <laughs> whose logo will oh, see yeah, a yeah, blade yeah. runner, of yeah, course, went out of business and, like that. and all that stuff, and which is not true because Coca-Cola is very dominant in there. Yeah. Um But it, it is interesting that especially in the second film, there's there is some stuff that kind of makes me go. I think this is supposed to be a whole alternate, and a part of what lots been made of the whole idea that Blade Runner set in twenty nineteen, which mm-hmm. is in two years, right? And you know, thankfully, granted, the world's going to hell, but it's not going to hell <laughs> quite at the point the that way, would yeah. get us to Los Angeles twenty nineteen. Yeah, uh, but uh, yeah, so it, it's really interesting that that's. Huh. It is almost like you know, like an alternate universe, which mm-hmm. of course you know in science fiction, mm-hmm. alternate universes are you know, very interesting, Yeah. you know, creative license for you to go in a different direction mm-hmm. with an idea.
0: Yeah, and I think in general, sci-fi, even if it's not an alternate universe, mm-hmm. it is uh, a future that, or like a different alternate way of looking at our world and our future yeah. that...
1: Well, it is the fiction in yeah, science Yeah, even if it's yeah.
0: not as extreme, you know, in 2019 of this film... There's still concepts like we talked about artificial intelligence okay. that are coming into our lives in very different ways mm-hmm. um, than we see. They're not humans walking around that we can't tell are not human, mm-hmm. but um, it's still artificial let's see,
1: intelligence. you have really cool sunglasses that would allow you to see which ones are the alien. Elements. Yeah, that's right. That's oh, a whole yeah,
2: different yeah, yeah. movie. Yeah. New, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just as good. No, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, for me, I like, you know, uh, this, this concept which you mentioned, like the, the Asimov, you know, I mean, which like for me, like it comes from writing Isaac Asimov. It, I think the, the thesis is best put at the, the last story in mm-hmm. iRobot in which there's like these series of computers that are controlling various things around the world, kind of like, uh, I mean, it's kind of like the UN. I mean, it, it's sort of it's sketched out, but like they're they're making decisions about grain prices and where things are going. And there's a discussion about, oh, well, this particular person is corrupt and siphoning things off. And the computers have already understood it and already compensated for it and still made the world a better place. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I uh, – there's this – I mean this is sort of a exciting, but there's a really cool um, – uh, 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 ios game called epoch where you play like this the last surviving robot that goes back and saves his family or this royal family anyway there's spray painted all across the world in this place asimov was wrong because the robots (laughs) had taken over (laughs) um which i think is clever and funny um but i had always been um you know i I call myself an asimovian like i think that like machines are better than humans Mm -hmm. i find and and, but different right Mm -hmm. um and 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 simpler and in that sense greater because like if we want to make a machine that just does good things we can do that and it's not going to be complicated by all these darker like subconscious that we have
1: (laughs) i mean a machine was a machine i mean a chainsaw is a wonderful positive machine but Mm -hmm. in the hands of someone from texas right it's a killing instrument right Right. it's not the machine it's the yeah, it's the humanity mm-hmm. behind it
2: yeah and so when we we watched uh, Ex Machina I don't, did we talk mm-hmm. about Ex Machina on the show not nah, not very
1: in depth no. um,
2: it seemed really cool for like 90% of it mm-hmm. um, and then at the end you know the, the, this person this entity mm-hmm. um, is like super cruel to other people and very self involved and all it like, cares about herself and was only sort of faking compassion and I'm like, this isn't about robots. Yeah, I had, this is I about, had trouble with that. movie. This is about yeah, yeah, people. Yeah,
1: yeah, a lot of people love the movie. I it fell apart at the yeah, end for me. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: I mean, and up until the like betrayal, mm-hmm. yeah. um, you know, it's it's inter-
1: really interesting. Yeah. You know, and, and
2: there's certainly all this stuff about changing the female body and the way he
1: does that. Have you seen her? Yes. Yeah, I really like that mm-hmm.
2: a lot. I did as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it doesn't. I think it's hard for her to pass the like feminist test.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's yeah, that's a Um, whole other. Well, Blade Runner certainly does. I mean, go back and watch Blade Runner. He, you know, Deckard basically rapes Rachel. Yeah, I mean, that's still watching it. Yeah, watching it. I I was watching it a few weeks ago with some friends in preparation of the new movie, and several Mm -hmm. people had never seen it. Yeah. And as soon as that scene came on, everybody was like, "Oh my god! Whoa! What's happening here?" And I'm like. I had kind of forgotten just how that... Because I'd seen that movie so many times, mm-hmm. it, you know, going back and... I don't actually... You were talking earlier about the first time you saw it, yeah. I I don't remember seeing Blade Runner for the first time. Mm. I, I, I don't. I don't completely,
0: yeah. the, the specific time. Yeah. yeah
1: and, and just that... So, I mean, there is some... And there's been a lot of talk about the new movie, about the roles of women in it. And I, heard, I have yeah. some very specific counters not really defending the movie but I've mm-hmm. got kind of like hey did you consider this which oh, I won't why, go into it, because yeah. spoilers right. we'll um, we'll get yeah, that, we'll get to that. that. Yeah. but yeah it, it, it's just really interesting that well,
2: so the, to finish my as my point the, one of the reasons that I like Blade Runner um, is you have like a spectrum of possible of, of like you know androids mm-hmm. you have a spectrum of created beings that mm-hmm. exist in this world yeah. and people that created them I mean I, I don't think I mean, and Deckard's one of them. Like, I think, like, whether or not you think Deckard is or is not a replicant, I think raising the question... Do you of want it, me to
1: tell you the answer to that?
2: No, I don't. Uh, I mean, it ultimately, <laughs> you could say yes or no, and it doesn't matter, right? Um, because uh, in, in watching the film, like, you know, just with just the unicorn, just the eyes, you know, like, it yeah. says, like, oh, like, is there something else going something. on? Mm-hmm. And even if for people that just watch it one time, and like... And mm-hmm. they go back and watch it a second time, and they're like, "Oh, oh like, he's yeah. sitting and thinking about something here. I thought he was just po- waiting." Right, right. You know. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, well, because the unicorn is in the first movie with the origami unicorn. Yeah. So, but his yeah. dream isn't there. Yeah. That's and interesting I'm like, as to what they were doing with that right. originally. Or originally, yeah. I
2: thought it was just telling it tells us that that guy let him go.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, which right. is cool. It was a calling card. It was like, hey, I, yeah. I was here.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I liked how, because so so talking about like like the like Roy. Um, As being better, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, because when I think about that, I think like um, a couple things. He he may be stronger, you know. Like Rucker Howard is physically beautiful. Um, He's certainly like debatable, but I I mean, (laughs) I think he's supposed. I think we're supposed to see that. I I, I, I think he's he's a good, you know, like he's bare chested. It's It's very few people are. He's very fit. He's very skilled in a lot of Mm. ways that we see people. He's very stronger than physical structures. He's super intelligent. Um, he's a better detective than Deckard is, mm-hmm. um, and yet he like he kills people. Mm-hmm. Um, they may deserve it, they may mm-hmm. not, but like Tyrell, okay, yeah. But Sebastian, mm-hmm. yeah. not you know why. Um, and so when I think about, and so like as much as I like want to hold up, you know, the replicants as you know Asimovian creations, better than human beings, mm-hmm. um, they don't like they, they have the they bring up the idea. But they certainly, like, I, I'm not, like, I, they don't pass my test. Like, I don't mm. think, you know, like, I, I would imagine that when human beings finally make things that are like that, mm-hmm. they will be generally good things. Correct. They will not run around killing people. And, and, and like, for the thing that I, it makes a really interesting sense. Or if film. they kill
1: people, they'll kill people who deserve to be killed.
2: Right. Yeah. That we decide, you know. Yeah. Um, or, 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 like, find ways to not kill them yeah. and solve a problem otherwise. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. I get... I mean, I think that
0: it's interesting what's interesting that the film is also saying is that they talk specifically like these are Nexus 6 versions. These yeah. aren't your average android and then they talk about these implanted memories. So I think the implication yeah. is there's something happening with that that's triggering something human in them that yeah. they're having these other experiences. Well, and so you yeah. have
2: these parallel individuals. Yeah. Like you have like the Nexus 6s that have been implanted. We don't know what their memories are, right. but they've been given this stuff. Mm-hmm. And they they generally they're trouble and they're causing trouble to our world. Well Rachel's given memories. You don't and- know if
1: she's a I mean, the Roy. he's a Nexus six, but yeah. what is Rachel? True. Is she a Nexus six or is she a Nexus seven? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You she know, that's a big young. question yeah. because the implanted memories is a new thing. And is yeah. that is that a whole new model? Is that mm. is that a Nexus seven?
2: Yeah. yeah. Um, but you but you at least have um Rachel comp- to compare with the other ones, you know, like some element of humanity being given to them, mm-hmm. you know and, and, and we don't know what's been given, but like it what, what the the thing that I see when I, at the end when Decker is looking at Roy, he's like, you know, perhaps it's like the replicant part of you that is wonderful and perfect, and there's this humanity that we cram in here that's been a, a big mess. Mm-hmm. you know, and it's like if we were if we were to if we were to right. remove that humanity and right. finally let ourselves create something wholly different from ourselves. Um, we would actually create this wonderful thing that we want to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we, we've kind of been talking around it, but we
0: could talk more about that final scene because I think, like we said, we could, I think the film is meant to be read either way. Like, <laughs> it's <laughs> ambiguous to say maybe Deckard is human, maybe he's not, maybe he's a rec- replicant, but I think they do imply different things. Does it matter?
1: Does it matter if he's human or a replicant? Well, I don't know that it
0: matters, but I think... It may be saying, like, if he is a replicant, by the end, I think I see less that it's speaking to about humanity in some ways. Because mm-hmm. I think on the one sense, we're seeing this switch where, like, he's set up as, like, the ultimate Blade Runner.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And he's the one that's, like, they say, what do they say? Something about, like, the ultimate wrecking crew or something like that mm-hmm. that he's taken down. But progressively, and I think even in the physical bodies, we see this shift where, like, the humans are all covered up and there's like big clothes and there's the guy at the eye shop who's Mm -hmm. in this like suit Mm -hmm. and the way that they sort of like degrade him to human is like pull off his suit and he's just sort of like this small person inside but like as the movie goes forward like you said ray becomes like shirtless and shows off his body and um priss also is like like, the leotard leotard she's like skin tight so it just like shows their bodies nude Yep. yep she's nude so um, and, uh, Pris is doing like these backflips and mm. showing like how strong she is physically. Okay, So the yeah.
1: backflips are only in there because Daryl Hannah was a cheerleader when she was younger <laughs> and at her audition, Ridley Scott asked her, is there anything you can do interesting? And she yeah. goes, well, I know all these like acrobatic flips. So they actually wrote that in there specifically for Daryl Hannah. So it's not it art. Cool. I, again, this yeah, goes back her. to yeah, the yeah. whole thing of, yeah. of. Of what is art and what is—it is, it is a cool moment, yeah. yeah, it's a great it's a moment. Yeah, but it's only in there because she Daryl Hannah happen could happen. To well, but be see, for me, that.
2: that means like it's a film, right? And yeah. and, and a film, like when I think about yeah, right. like when we have made films, mm-hmm. um you know, like it's different than writing a book because like mm-hmm. you control all those words in general, right? Yeah. Even though yeah. I didn't make them up, like yeah. I'm, I, I, I'm, they're borrowed and shared meaning. But when you're making a film, the things you're writing with are. People, people's voices, people's mm-hmm. faces, and, and it it's, a, it's a totally different composition. Yeah. You know, at best, you're pointing things in the direction that you yeah. want, yeah. Um, and you have, you know, I think less control over yeah. what you do.
1: You know yeah. what? It would have been what very happens? interesting to see a director in today's CGI world would have been Hitchcock, hmm. because Hitchcock was so controlling of everything. That's true. Yeah. He used to say that the one thing that I don't like was actors. Because yeah. they're unpredictable. Mm-hmm. He couldn't control an actor's performance. Yeah. And sure. it would be interesting to see somebody like that using, you know, CGI mm. technology mm-hmm. today. Obviously, that's just speculation. Yeah, but yeah. But yeah. you think of someone who had that much control. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, Hitchcock films are, out of all the great auteur directors, and that's kind of what we're talking Even though yeah. I don't really believe in the artur theory. Because, <laughs> you know, a film is a big project. It's not just yeah, from yeah. one person. It's handy to yeah. reference. Yeah. Um, but I really think that of all the auteurs, Hitchcock mm. was the one that had the most controlled, controlled. version. Yeah. Probably Kubrick, Kubrick yeah. is, is probably up there, but even with <laughs> Kubrick, you know, a lot of the stuff was was X. So there's a whole these, you know, famous things out of the Shining that was improv here's Johnny. That yeah. was improv, really? and Kubrick didn't even know what it meant because he, he <laughs> lived in England. He didn't know who Johnny Carson was, so J- Nicholson <laughs> yeah, had a different line there. and got sick of saying it. and Finally, just said, "Here's Johnny," and Kubrick went, "Oh, that's kind of weird and different," and yeah. had no idea that it was a reference mm. to Johnny Carson. Yeah, of course, now that's like iconic and right. brilliant. Yeah, but it pr- it, it purely was an improv moment. Yeah. yeah,
0: I think some of the favorite moments from films I've made are those improvised, improvised moments. They're like scenes written at the yeah, last mm-hmm. moment. Some yep. We did a uh, 48 hour film and uh, some of the, my favorite shots were just like, even my wife was like, uh, "Grab that uh, painting, put that behind it." Yeah, I was yeah, Like, yeah, oh, yeah, sure. like, like, like yeah. This, we were
2: just like two minute thing where I was like, oh, I guess I'll get that." Yeah. yeah. We had this very dramatic rewinding of a videotape at one point, which was <laughs> in, uh, improvised based. And then, in the
1: near future, people will be doing an yeah. hour long podcast about all the choices you made <laughs> yeah, to definitely. put that painting behind them. Yeah, definitely. Um,
2: but so to 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 touch back on the question of like Deckard's. Um, whether he's replicant or not, yeah. the reason why it was valuable to me personally mm-hmm. is because it changes the story of one of an individual seeking external truth mm-hmm. to an individual going on a journey of self-discovery. Mm-hmm. So ultimately, like he's the value because one of the things that I I've seen it many times, not as many as you guys, but the one thing that no I,
1: spoiler, you're gonna love the second yeah. movie.
2: <laughs> uh, one of the things that I um, was always surprising to me is like so at the beginning, like, we get Deckard's on the case, yeah. and he gets sidetracked to go visit Mister. Tyrell mm-hmm. to do something yeah mm-hmm. right they want him to come there yeah right and something. so he goes and, and like you know and, and he, he does this thing with Rachel but like he never like I'm like what's the thing he went for
1: mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. D- like
2: where's that task I assume maybe we don't see it or
1: like, well they or, or, do have the line where they said that there is a Nexus 6 at the Tyrell Corporation go over there and put the vote count machine on it yeah so he is over there to do that to do that but it doesn't really make sense because, and again, it's a MacGuffin. It's just, he needs to be there for a scene right, to right, happen. Right, 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 yeah. It's a noir thing. You just, right. you put him there to
2: get there. But so then there's this bit, I mean, so then like, thinking about, you know, is diet Replicant or not, there's the, the scene after the, the Void comp with Rachel. He's discussing with Terrell about, you know, and she, she is, but she doesn't know, mm-hmm. you know, and, and he's like, how long did you know, that, how, how long did it take you to figure that out? Right. Yeah, right. right. And, presume, and so reading again, I'm like, oh, presumably Terrell knows. Like yeah. He knows that Descartes a replicant, yeah. and and he has some set of programming or mm-hmm. some set of preparation. And he's,
1: he's testing them yeah, to find right. out how well he can. Yeah. You know,
2: and then and lots of other folks along the way. Because you know, mm-hmm. then the, the person at the boss at the beginning is not a boss. He's a handler, mm-hmm. right? And and he 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 possesses both a world of complete untruth with decker mm. and a tiny bit of world of truth because of the unicorn mm. right and so and then you know decker goes through this journey about trying to figure out all those stuff for other people but all of those scenes can be reread if right. you know as him thinking about himself right um which just added like a whole nother layer to me and again like an individual seeking truth about themselves is something that i can relate to it is it, <laughs> like i think a very deeply human mm-hmm. and honest quest mm-hmm. that I think is great for a protagonist to go on, um, but one that is rarely addressed seriously yeah. or with depth. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also one in this film that like, it, I think it really re- rewards digging deep. Because, mm-hmm. you know, you know, again, it wasn't for me until like, the third or fourth viewing that I was like, oh, there's these awkward spaces that's emphasizing something. <laughs> right, yeah. And now I see there's, you know, at least opportunity mm-hmm. to contemplate some of the things that, you know, our protagonist is going for.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and so much of it is just immersing yourself in this incredibly visual world mm-hmm. and just letting the stuff flow over you. I've always yeah. said to people who are seeing for the first time, don't even think about the movie. Just mm-hmm. let it wash over you Yeah. and then go back and watch it a second time and try to digest what it, and Mm -hmm. I think that's any of the really, really great art house films are like that, you know, and again, not to Mm -hmm. go back to 2001, but the first time you see 2001, it's like, what the hell is this? This is two and a half hours of movie with 10 minutes of dialogue, Mm -hmm. you know, with these long, long content, but yeah, you knowing what it is and going back and thinking about it, that's the point of the film. That's Mm -hmm. what makes it a difference between a film and a movie. Yeah, you know the film's got that yeah. artistic side to it, and and I like that. Cha- I like being challenged by a movie.
0: Yeah, I mean even like we talk about all these elements coming together, but even the music I've just mm-hmm. used at certain points to like just play the music, <laughs> and certain times when I'm like being creative or coming up with my own ideas mm-hmm. for stories and film, um, like that just puts me into the, like a different world basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in general you're right. Like that film. Sometimes I just, like, like vibing to it, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, just watch it, and I'm, like, in that state, and it goes by, and I'm like, I didn't really pay attention to what happened in that scene, but, like, I'm enjoying it. Yeah. Um, Which is really a different take on things. Uh, I was also going to say, kind of going off what you were saying, Jeremy, this last time watching it, I I mean, this is kind of obvious, but the way, again, sci-fi can show us things in a new light and it it really brought up like the journey of these replicants in having like a short lifespan and them finding that out um and wanting to sort of extend their life like is a reflection of like Deckard who didn't we talked about this didn't really care maybe about how mm-hmm. far his life was going like mm-hmm. he's just living but doesn't matter and a lot of us sort of avoid thinking about our death or when we're ending mm-hmm. or something um but for them when they hit this point of like saying oh my life is gonna end and we talked about maybe they're a little more advanced like suddenly the idea of mortality becomes very important mm-hmm. um and i think that process for Deckard of sort of being like stripped down even physically at the end and like beaten up and like having to face like is my life gonna end and it almost seems like Roy is like I'm gonna get you yeah. to this point yeah. like that's my goal because well, after you're that never he's more like, I'm alive, alive than yeah. the moment before you die yeah 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 because yeah. Roy seems to be going after more life but we know at that point he has kind of like given up like yep. Tyrell didn't give him that option yep. he's shut um, but he does seem to be taking. Deckard on a journey to be like, hey, get to the place where I am. I'm gonna make you alive. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. that's what he does. Is that's yeah.
1: the whole reason he beats the crap out of him. <laughs> he wants Deckard to feel alive and yeah. feel terror mm-hmm. because at least he's feeling. Yeah, and that's the thing is though. Really, for the first half of the movie, Deckard really doesn't feel anything. He's very mm. cold. Yep. And only at the end, after his experience with that, does he really feel the elements of what makes him human, and <laughs> that is fear. Yeah. Fear of fear of death. Yeah. And yeah, that. Uh, and of course, you know you know you could talk about the whole the religious symbolism and is Roy really this Christ figure and that that's why he pushes the nail through his hand because it's in <laughs> yeah. there just as a as a Christ symbolism <laughs> yeah. you know otherwise why would you stick a nail through your hand right you know yeah. and yeah. it's been argued that you know he's shutting down and maybe his his jaw and gone. he's trying to keep yeah, his hands i mean that, so yeah. there's a practical thing but mm-hmm. i mean that will that's put in there purely as an artistic symbolism, choice yeah. as as let's put in a little bit of jesus symbolism in mm-hmm. there so of course, in 1982, E.T. also came out, and that's that whole movie is the story of Jesus Christ. So Yeah, yeah, that's tell, true. Tell that to people and watch their hands fall. That's a wonderful experience. Well, but see, yeah. I mean,
2: but on the E.T. Thing, the key is at the beginning. Hmm? I mean, what, I, you, you said this E.T. theory to me before. Hmm? And I mean, one of the... the, the it's not the, a theory, it's real. <laughs> one of the biggest elements of, of early Greek um, iconography about... Christ Dionysus is the keys because the keys are symbols of the underworld. Mm-hmm. You know, when Christ Dionysus and the others they, they go to the underworld and free those of the underworld, then they sort of break the locks and the keys. And you know, and you watch B&EVT, like there are all those shots of the, the of the keyring.
1: Well, P- Peter Carter's character is just called Keys. Mm. That's his mm. character's That's name. Is I mean, he's never named in the movie, but in the credits, mm. he's labeled as Keys. Mm. It's also it's it's yeah it's all, it's all there. yeah. There are no new stories. No new stories. Yeah. No. Yeah. Heroes myth. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to spoil a major thing for the sequel. Just no, I'm not going to. Do that. <laughs> We're wrapping <laughs> it all up. I yeah. feel. By, by the we way, we ruined Jeremy the whole thing. planning?
0: Jeremy and I are planning to see the film in a couple of days. Yeah.
1: Steve has already seen it. Um, opening night, of course. As of a true course. Blade Runner fan, yeah. I was there opening night.
0: Yeah, we have the we movie. had other things, kids which and we stuff. Did. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah, whatever. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. We already have tickets for Star Wars, though. Do you? Yes, I do. Okay. okay. We probably bought them at the same moment the minute mm-hmm. they became on sale. <laughs> um, but so uh, we'll record another one again after you see the film, hopefully with you, Steve, if you're available.
1: We'll see how the next few weeks go. All All right. Right. Yeah, yeah. Maybe you want to talk to me after you see the next one. I'm sure so we'll we want we talk to. talk We probably will. Yeah,
0: I hear good things. Um, is there anything else we want well, to? Well, the
2: one up? thing yeah. I did want to touch on one more thing, which is like the the three shorts that were released before 2049 mm-hmm. um, there's, a, there's just a couple things I wanted to say yeah. one um, I watched them there are two live action ones one animated one mm-hmm. um, uh, in, in concept I really like it for a number of reasons, one um, one of the reasons why I thought, and I talk about this often, why the Lord of the Rings movies were so successful, mm-hmm. is because of a website called Ring.net, which Peter yep. Jackson started before, and, and just gathered a generation of artists mm-hmm. and fans and people that had made small projects and big projects, and just helped, you know, like helped collectively get a sense of this world and what people thought about certain characters and what you know what and and what was important to them as readers and as artists who had tried to make things, how they envisioned things, and I think. Because because of that, I mean, you know, plenty of things made that that film series great. But mm-hmm. you know, one thing I always point to is like, you know, there were and Peter Jackson talks about this when he, yeah. in the Hobbit thing is like, you know, a year before production started, they had warehouses filled with metal armor, mm-hmm. you know, and they mm-hmm. they had, they 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 fleshed out all these visual details. Um, that like, as mm-hmm. I watch the movies with my kids, I'm like, that's on screen for like three seconds, mm-hmm. you know, and like this took literally. Months, if not years, to make to this—you yeah. know—to grow grass on the habitat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're all planted. Um, but but but, know, but but gathering a generation of artists who had mm-hmm. seen the Rankin and Bass, who had seen Ralph Bakshi's version, mm-hmm. who had read various books, who had seen books with illustrations, who had done work or fan art on their own, and just created this giant database of all this imagining of this world. And I think that I, I like that you know the director of the, of the new twenty forty nine brought in other artists mm-hmm. to to have mm-hmm. a vision of what this world is. I mean, the, and because um, I just think. I mean, as much, because like you were saying, as, as much as we want to think of, like, the director or the writer as being the single person doing it, almost everything that's good, I mean, ha- having only made a few small films, yeah. like, it, it's the artistry and genius of a community, of a, community, yeah. Of yeah. a village yeah. of people yeah. Yeah. that makes it good. And mm-hmm. some of the job of the director or the producer or whoever happens to be there mm-hmm. um, is, like, coordinating all those people to, do, to exceed their best, mm-hmm. like, today in this right. place. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I love that he gathered together ar- other artists and said, Hey, like, you can do some Blade Runner stuff, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, and, and, you know, make for me this world. And, and I don't know, I don't know all the production details, but the first thing I was struck by by watching the two live action ones mm. w- was this. Um, like, it, it's so physically similar to the original film mm-hmm. that you could cut it into the original film, and I don't think you would notice a difference. Yeah. Yep. Um, and that's something that, like, we talked a lot about nostalgia on our show. There's a lot of nostalgia stuff going on in the world. It's an interesting approach to that because mm-hmm. it's it's not i mean it's nostalgia but like they're making it look exactly like it well these, you people,
1: th- these people grew up with this and now yeah. you get a chance to play um, with these toys although
2: i would
0: uh, take what? some disagreement with the shorts on that the is it dave batista yeah. plays the um the second short featuring him which i thought what? some was good character yes. development and the other ones like that one felt like somebody being like here's a world that looks like blade runner streets but the style of it, yeah. like it didn't have, again, it didn't have like the poetry and the tone yeah. and the style Ooh. and the cinematography. Yeah. Um,
2: so that those elements were disappointing. But what I, would, like, I mean, yeah. what I would, I mean, what I would hold it to this test though, yeah. like if you saw ten seconds of either of those. You know that it's Blade Runner, sure, yeah. Right, yeah. Um, And so right. it's like though they're you know they're doing a different some different themes, mm-hmm. different actors, different time. Right. Like th- there's things like the the physicality and some of, of the world. of to bridge
1: the 35 years between yeah. 2019 um, or whatever yes. the years is. True. There is True. part and have, having seen the movie, mm-hmm. I have not seen the shorts. I saw the first one that came out. I watched it without really thinking too much about it, and sure. then I kind of said, you know what, I want to go into the second movie knowing as little yeah, as possible. And now I'm curious to go back because obviously the difference between 2019 and 2049, a lot does, has happened in the world Yeah, mm-hmm. and they do a good job of explaining what has gone on in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do want to go back and kind of see, because yeah. Dave Bautista's character, he is in yeah, the, the new in, movie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he has a, it's not a big part, but it's a pivotal mm-hmm. part. So
0: yeah. I mean, like I said, I thought the setting up that character in that short was good just like it was more about like the tone of the visuals and stuff and yeah. see i would like There's to go back and see there. it now yeah and kind of see but what it, they did with it i mean we can talk about this on the next episode but i have faith in denis uh Villeneuve, that
1: mm-hmm.
0: he is a thoughtful director that he has different than the shorts rocketed yes. to the top of my favorite director <laughs> list yeah yeah, yeah. And is now making Dune apparently. So. Uh that's
1: that's one of, one his, of his possible. possible. Things, yeah. That's a that's a yeah. big nut to crack. Yeah, right. And yeah. unfortunately, with 2049 flopping, so well. I mean, there's no way that they can make Dune in one movie. And I'm I'm mm-hmm. hoping that if they make Dune, it'll go the route of the Lord of the Rings. Yeah. But I think now with this movie not succeeding financially, mm-hmm. um, now there's a chance it could pull it out because it hasn't opened around the world in in key countries so there is a chance that it it, but you know it it costs 155 million Mm dollars you need a three to one multiplier so you're looking at a half a billion dollar growth before it's considered profitable Profitable. that's quite a stretch global
2: profits have been the 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 cash cow for a lot of the yeah. oh, stuff. Oh yes. yeah, rings, right? oh absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Like the Mummy, horrible film, but, yeah, but globally, yeah, you know, it, it, it made it, it, it did, it did really well. Um, yeah. It did very well. Yeah. But so the, the the thing about the shorts, which I like, which I mm-hmm. just reiterate, is that I, I like the gathering of other artists and getting mm-hmm. like some a few other visions and Ooh, ideas yeah. and people's love of the stuff, mm-hmm. and, and that and that's most clear I think in the animated one, which is I think the weakest of the three, um, but it. Uh, because it's it's more like an, a clear homage to Blade mm. Runner, like Blade yeah. Runner elements in a different setting. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just it just uh, uh, opens up. It, it feels very humble, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, and, and very honest about what it's like to make Blade Runner today, right? It's not 1981. It's not 1982, mm. where like you're you're pulling some of this amazing stuff out of, of whole cloth or out of obscure mm-hmm. fiction. Yeah. Um, you know, you're you're making it in a world where millions of people have seen this film have grown up with this film have mm-hmm. made student projects based on this mm-hmm. film yeah. have made fan art you know have mm-hmm. made costumes have done you know like have done lego things like you know have imagined and fleshed out in their minds the rest of what this world and this history looks like and I think bringing that together, even with a few, I think, very skilled artists, um, is a, you know, is a hallmark of someone that has humility and respect for what he's making. Um, and I think, you know, I mean, because he did a Rival, right? This is, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, like, I've never had someone, like, respect my intelligence as much, I feel like, in that film. <laughs> right. Now, I mean, it does, it's not perfect because I don't like the ending, but, like, oh, oh, like oh, oh, oh. 95% of it, that. I think, is, yeah, we disagree. Is, oh, yeah, we disagree. It's fine. There's an episode on it. You can go back to it. Yeah. You know, but like, you know, halfway through the film, I was like, I, I can't believe I'm watching this in a theater.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, this is... I was shocked when I saw in the theater from, yeah. going, I, who the hell greenlit this? And right, I want right. to thank them for saying yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was so happy that that movie made money. Yeah, I'm mm-hmm. Very, very happy. So, you see his, his earlier, he has a movie called Prisoners that's really, really good. Mm-hmm. And again, it's 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 a detective thriller that goes in a completely different it's direction. It's a very strange yeah. film. Yeah, yeah. But it's a great film.
0: I really like his yeah. film Enemy. If you oh yeah, seen that. yeah, yeah. I've and seen all the films. Smaller yeah. film,
1: yeah.
2: Um, yeah. I also, I mean, the, the other thing I wanted, I just, I, I, I think that my experience of the twenty forty nine marketing is good. Mm-hmm. Um, it, there's no voiceover. Mm-hmm. Um, it, 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 I feel like it appeals to people that know Blade Runner, and people that don't, mm. um, which <laughs> I think is hard. Um, it's sort of for people that don't know it, they're kind of like. You know, but I feel like you're catapulted into this world of stuff. You're like, what the hell is going on? Um, but it makes it. I, I just um, I feel like there's also there also wasn't too much. Like they're they're not giving you away too much of the story. In the they're marketing. not giving away anything. Yeah, which is yeah. I like. Yeah. yeah, you know, and, and I think that's it's, what
1: doomed the film. It, well, it, well, it did. <laughs> people didn't know it uh, did yeah. because really, if you ask anyone. Under the age of thirty, about Blade Runner, Chancellor they haven't even seen it. Right, and then probably. you're asking them to go see a sequel where they they're not even telling you what it's about. Mm-hmm. From a marketing, and I'm, remember, I'm a marketing person. Yeah, yeah it's, all about you that. Know, yeah, it's. I look at that and go, "Wow, that's a colossal <laughs> that's mistake." A move, yeah, well, but I'm so happy they did that because as a film yeah. lover, mm-hmm. it allowed me to walk in. And how many movies can you see? Where you don't actually yeah, know I the whole know. story. I, right?
2: I also want to say, and I, I I totally give myself license to be totally wrong about this, but I, I would not be surprised if this film in five or six years we talk about it as being a film that succeeded in this sort of tertiary market, like mm-hmm. streaming mm-hmm. online. Purchase. The last
1: thing is I'm looking at that too. Going, will this film find an audience like? Because I mean, the first j- Blade j- just looking
2: at like the historic, like the, certainly the first Blade Runner, but other mm-hmm. historical things. I love like. Um, a, Buffy um, mm-hmm. and Firefly, like the Joss Whedon thing. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, Firefly was made because of its release on DVD. For, it was right. problematically yes. released out of sequence on mm-hmm. television. Yep. But the people that came to love it, and I think the audience that was, you know, had their minds ready for a more contemplative kind of show, watched it at home on their own mm-hmm. televisions. Yes. Well, um, that's
1: what allowed them to go back and make these other versions yeah. of Blade Runner was there was an audience for it. Yeah. And, they, and they realized that there could be money. You know, mm-hmm. this comes from money. But, you know, they figured it out that if we kind of say well people want art and they're willing to pay for art so we'll let them do this director's version
2: well so and let me ask you this steve so if you i mean you went to see blade Runner in a the theater because it came out but like if you had to choose like your if you if you could watch it anywhere and sort of under any circumstances within reason in the future would you choose to like watch it again in the theater or would you choose to watch it at home in your
1: theater i have a nice theater <laughs> setup so i would watch it i would always choose to watch it at home um but I mean, I like the idea of a big audience of people watching yeah, it. Mm. I do not like the idea of people on their phones and talking and all this stuff. Mm. I, I suffer from theater rage issues, <laughs> so I, yeah. I know better. And, and it, it is a movie that really needs to be immersed. And that's, mm. So I have one last question for you guys. What do you think is going to happen in Blade Runner 2049? I don't
0: know. Um, I may post a link to this after we see it to find out, but I did this, uh, sort of fan short for a project in grad school and I sort of implied that there would be, like, some procreation of something between these, uh, androids, like there would be, they would be able to create their own new life in some way. Um, was implying and I've gotten hints of something of that. So I don't know if that's like a big thing in it or not um, for sure, but I, I'm interested to see where the development of them go. Um, Jeremy?
2: Uh, this is I mean I feel like I'm not at all prepared for this question because <laughs> it's like it's based on so like I watch the trailer and I watch these shorts um, and I mean I mean like so like Ryan Gosling is like looking for Deckard right. like because he's, uh, like, a, a, a pre-blackout model, you know, before, like, sort of all that. I, I don't even know what happened, but, like, all this stuff gets wiped. I don't know what happens to 24 But, like, I get the sense that, like, um, because this giant repository of information is destroyed that no one knows who replicants are or not, and there's no way to actually find out in the future. And he has some, there's something in his programming or something about him, whether he's an Android or not, or something about him as a Blade Runner. Um, they, like, they... Getting in contact with him is extremely important because it's helping them figure out um, this crucial element, which I think they're worried about, which is like trying to find out who's a replicant and not, mm-hmm. um, because and and somehow he possesses it, right? And that and the story unfolds that way. I assume that I you know I assume Ryan Gosling is human. I assume that he's uh, sent on a task, which he. Uh, initially believes in but then eventually finds out that it's bogus and goes on a secondary quest with Decker to find a deeper truth about Mm -hmm. something Um, I believe that uh, he and Rachel ran away somewhere got off the grid and were there for a while Um, and something happened to her I don't know what Um, and so we get you know Decker and whoever Ryan Gosling is sort of gallivanting around trying to prevent themselves from being killed searching for um, uh, a truth which is surprising um, I don't know what that truth is. I'm, I'm, I'm interested in, I mean, like, so in the shorts, there's this, we see a new replicant by this new company mm-hmm. that is forced to choose between a human life and an android life and chooses mm-hmm. to end the android life, or it, it, cease the android from functioning. Yeah. Which again, for me as an Asimovian, Asimov, yeah. is, 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 is like, it's one of the fundamental rules of robotics, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so the, that's a really interesting world for me to be in. The question I begin asking though, because this guy is creepy, is, is this the truth? <laughs> ha- has he created, in my mind, this Asimovian replicant, or has he created an elaborate ruse for these individuals to try to convince them that this is the truth when it's in fact not? Hmm. So a long, rambling bit about stuff. I uh,
0: did also want to mention, and then we can wrap up, uh, somebody wrote an article recently about the original and the take on uh, the difference between, you know, they kind of say, uh, I can't remember, is it Bryant? Um is the head police guy that he goes to right, see that yeah, gets his, right? Yeah. Brian, um, and he says something Another about, like, history, if you're yeah. not a cop, you're not anything on this, right. on this planet. Um, and just, they were pulling out, you know, in 2017, this idea that the police sort of have all the power, and even if, you know, how we treat people and things like that doesn't matter who they are as long as the people in power are sort of the ones in control and can put that power out over their bodies and control them. And, you know, the the people on this this planet in this area um, don't really have the control and there's different classes of people still definitely between them. Um, So I just thought it was a unique take reflecting our current society. So that would be really fascinating, the concept you're talking about, if we... If they don't know anymore who is a replicant or not in the future, like this is this idea of kind of taking away our color blindness or whatever, you know, like yeah. everybody's sort of on equal footing again um, would we'll sort of shake things up. So that's sort of fascinating. This is speaking of we don't know what's going to happen, right? The next one. And I'm just having a great time just <laughs> listening to this. Going,
1: well, or, this piece is right, but that piece is not right. <laughs> or and this piece is. You've yeah.
0: given them uh, a great idea for. Another
2: sequel. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm a 249 with of Street, Madison, <laughs> Wisconsin. If you need some help envisioning that, I don't know why we haven't gotten very many calls yeah. so far no, of all well. our ideas. Yeah, but I mean, well, I mean, just I, the, the last thing I'll say about that. I mean, this director, like when I saw the Arrival, mm-hmm. or Arrival, Arrival,
1: um, the Arrival is with Charlie Sheen. Yeah, <laughs> just as good. As um, this, yeah.
2: When I saw Arrival, is one of the few films in a long time that you know, like the problems that I had with it were small, and I'm like. I'm totally fine with this choice that you made you know, right. you know yeah, like yeah. where I was so impressed with uh, the thoughtfulness you know and not mm-hmm. and and, and not, it wasn't a thing where like many other things were like oh I see that the writing was good here mm-hmm. but the product we see is eh right you mm-hmm. know it, it, and it's a it's a it, it felt to me like again like um like this world of, of science fiction becoming very interesting speculative fiction mm-hmm. because we have this really emotional personal story mm-hmm. that is tied up intimately and importantly and believing in, in or in a believable way with this speculative fiction story right um and it just uh I, I was just sort of beside myself i'm like i i can't even really begin to talk about all you know after having watched it, it was like when i first saw crouching tiger hidden dragon mm-hmm. i was like how how did the thing i just saw exist <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah yeah like yeah. i don't
2: not only do i have no idea how they did most of that but mm-hmm. How did you th-
1: who thought of who thought of this? Like
2: dueling with swords on willow trees? You know, like yeah. you know, like, you know, it just blew Angle-like, my mind. Yeah. 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 I mean most of the things I like in the world it turns out are yeah. all made by Angley. Mm-hmm. Um, but so um going yeah. into twenty forty nine, I'm just so excited. It's, it's not you know. a
1: perfect film. Um yeah. it is too long. Hmm. You know, it's two hours and forty four yeah, minutes. It's long, yeah. And it does not need to be that yeah. long. So but it's 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 something that I don't think they could just go in and edit it. You know, Mm -hmm. it's something that it it was in the The pre-production and and how they did it. And Mm -hmm. I'm happy that they were willing to release a film of that length because that does cut down its box office prospects. Mm -hmm. But, you know, at the same point, it probably... Could have been two hours and fifteen minutes, mm-hmm. and it's. But I mean, going back on it, I never felt like it dragged. Yeah, you know, it was. I mean, I, but I went into it with a very contemplative, very Zen like. Mm-hmm. We're going to sit through the theater for two, <laughs> for two right. hours and forty four minutes. Yeah, and you know, I yep. expected it to be slow moving. It was actually a little more brisk than mm-hmm. I was hmm. expecting hmm. from it. Um, But again, I'd be curious to know, because I think the way the story unfolds, it unfolds in a very linear, and while watching it, I'm like, about halfway through it, I'm going, where's all the mystery? And then only (laughs) when it's done, do you kind of look back and go, oh, that's where it was. Yeah. So yeah, I I like that. I mean, I'd be very curious to see the movie a second time, Mm -hmm. to see how it either holds up and or, like Arrival, you know. Obviously, knowing the plot twist of that, yeah. my big question was, would that film work a mm-hmm. second time? Mm-hmm. And I was very happy to discover that I enjoyed it more yeah. the no, second I time. Hmm. Yeah, because then there's
2: all, all those references to the stuff with her daughter. You know, yeah, daughter, yeah, and that's know, it's, like it's, it's like watching it The Sixth Sense. As soon as yep. you
1: see it, you're like, oh my god, I've got to watch it again yeah. with a whole different view. Yeah, so new yeah. and I I loved the end of. The last 5 minutes of arrival is what made that whole movie for
2: me. <laughs> my opinion is you can every, snip is, off everything the last is circular. It's yeah, oh, yeah. too much. Everything is circular. She yeah. does she never makes the phone call. Yeah. Um, in, in my version of it. And the you know, like doesn't make the phone call and they disappear into dust and that's our film. That's the end. <laughs> and it's and it's fabulous.
1: Until director's cut and final cut.
2: Yeah, yeah that's right. I mean I so I mean I, I my first experience, <clears throat> cut. which I've heard 2049, he came out
0: and said, this is my cut. Yeah, he said this that. This is what I yeah. wanted yeah. to make. Yeah, because obviously everyone is... The studio didn't mess with yeah. it. Yeah. Out of
1: all the movies out there, Blade Runner is the one that has the history of all these multi, right. even yeah. more than Close Encounter, yeah. which is another film that has multiple versions yeah. of that.
2: I, I can't remember if I talked about this on the podcast before, but like uh, the film Donnie Darko. Oh, I, yeah. I, I, I watched it. And I, th- it was like a, it was, uh, it was actually a conversation I had with David Bordwell. He was like trying to come up with puzzle films, so he like oh. asked a bunch of the film students, like, "Hey, like, what are some good puzzle films? Kind of like Donnie Darko." <clears throat> um, this is when he still taught at and when I was yeah. there, um, and I was like, "I've never seen that before." So I went and watched it, and I was like, "Oh, that's pretty interesting." Yeah. And then um, it was, it was a, head, a friend of mine had it on DVD, mm-hmm. and like I listened to the uh, a commentary yeah. from the filmmakers, and like. It blew my mind listening to because <laughs> like they had this amazingly elaborate story about aliens mm-hmm. and stuff, which is not part of the film that I watched. <laughs> and, I, I and, and, that. and then you know I read more about it and I realized that they had put together this cut of theirs, mm-hmm. um, and the studio was like, "Oh no, like <laughs> this makes zero sense," yeah. and 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 cobbled together this. film that makes sense but is so fundamentally different different than the one that they made um it was my first encounter with that Mm. because you know because again like i approached the the film that i saw as donnie darko as being the thing which everyone involved have
1: you seen the director's cut of donnie darko yes yeah um it's not as good no the The theatrical version is significantly better
2: um i you know i i I, because i so i watched it saw it and read the heard the commentary track and then Mm -hmm. watched the director's cut a friend of mine had that as well um, it was like burned from the internet at that point, but I was like, "Oh my god," you know. <laughs> yeah. And normally, you know, of course, I'm like, "Studios like evil, money growing things," right. yep. and I'm like, "Somebody made this make sense," you know, because because yeah. you know, the, the sense that you you know, yeah. I would often say is like, "Oh, like maybe it was like a David Lynch thing,"
1: yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and I'm
2: like, "It was not.
1: Yeah. It was <laughs> just." Have you, have you seen Dark City? That's I, another I... movie that the director's cut is so much better mm. because the studio. Basically said, okay, we're going to show you exactly what this is about, mm-hmm. and then they finally released a director's cut, which is if you haven't seen it, mm. that that could be a that could be a whole podcast. That's one of <laughs> the most brilliant science fiction mm. movies of the last twenty five years mm. that almost nobody has seen. It, it's a brilliant movie. Okay, yeah, one last okay. thing about director about. Tell me, so I don't know if you know the whole story. Do you know Caddyshack? Yes. Okay, so you know Caddyshack. What was released to the theaters and what was written mm. are two completely different films. They, they shot a whole story about the caddies' lives and all these relationships among them. And then they were just going to pepper the film with a handful of cameos from these comedians. Yeah. But when they got filming, they just let the cameras roll. <laughs> with the comedians, and yeah. when they got in the editing room, of course, they had three hours of film, which they mm-hmm. couldn't release. So they started cutting. And they realized all this the plot that they had filmed with the caddies didn't work on film. Mm. So they basically cut the entire plot of the film out. <laughs> So, when you watch Caddyshack, you are basically watching the outtakes, outtakes. strung together. And the movie is brilliant. It <laughs> yeah. is a brilliant comedy. But I have always wanted to see that original version, the three hour version. Yeah. yeah. Maybe someday on Blu ray. That's right. Yeah, indeed. That's
2: right. So, we should probably leave it there, I think.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good discussion. Um, we did get some t- in- interesting spots with Blade Runner mm-hmm. that I think are kind of some new areas. So, that's great. Um, Steve thanks for being on the show thank you giving us your perspective and history on Blade Runner I yeah. appreciate that and yeah maybe we can get you to come back mm-hmm. yeah. so we'll be seeing the movie in
1: like two days yeah you sure you don't want me to tell you how it ends I, 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 we, I am I, you can correct. skip two hours and 44 minutes I'll tell <laughs> you right now <laughs> <all> <laughs> it two hours. save us some
0: money yeah, yeah. no that's okay. yeah alright thanks for listening next time